The Big Beat manifesto goes, Big Beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is contagious. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious. All right. You've brought a snake. Yeah. Oh, God, he's brought a venomous plus one. Whoa, snake. Massive. What's it called? Don't know, fucking rental snake, innit? It, it is safe, isn't it, Hans? Yeah, it should be. Red next to black. Jump the fuck back, red and yellow, cuddly fella. But red is next to black. Yeah, I don't know. It's fine. He's been milked, I should think. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the El Dude Brothers podcast, episode 41, The Affair. My name is Sean, and I want to kick this podcast off with some nachos and a margarita. And my name's Nora, and I know exactly where the big scissors are. (laughs) (laughs) Where are the big scissors? I actually have got a really big pair of scissors in this drawer right where I am. I'm right by the big scissors drawer. Yep, I've got a pair of big scissors in my hand yep, as well. I've got big scissors, I've got recordable CDs, sellotape, and some codeine tablets from when I uh, had my stomach ulcer. Jesus, sounds like a party in the recording <laughs> studio. Yeah, party in my drawer. <laughs> uh, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad, I think. Well, they're saying there's going to be the Beast from the East 3 is coming now, and we're going to see some more snow over Easter it's actually felt spring-like this week and it feels like the clocks have just gone forward today and it feels like oh there might be a summer at some point as opposed to a few weeks ago where it was like well it's just eternal winter now how about you how's your week been oh my god i feel like we're in fucking eternal winter as well (laughs) it's just been so dire i i realized that was the most english thing i could do by answering how's your week been with just chat about the weather but i'm just so over it now like on my time hop, there was a picture of me wearing flip-flops from about three years ago. And it's like, yeah, it's spring and we're nowhere near flip-flops here now. Oh, fuck no. I mean, it's it's just been amazing to me how the weather in Kansas has just gone from, like, tolerable to fuck you mm. in the span of a week. Mm. Clearly, you're getting the beast from the east now. Oh, the beast from the middle or the midwest <laughs> that doesn't really work doesn't right yeah it doesn't really work way. no no yeah um. no uh this weekend was or this week was cool for me i can't really complain too much uh i know you don't care but my favorite wrestler in the world has been <laughs> retired for two years he is now unretired and gonna be wrestling again and i couldn't be more excited so i was excited that there was a wrestling reference or a re- reference to wrestling oh, in this yes. episode so that i wanted to talk to you about i look forward to talking to you about that oh man i actually made a note of that in my own notes <laughs> uh, so what did it's you a fan i'm sorry gum oh i was just gonna say wrestler is a fantastic movie it is i've got my own story about that film so when we get there i'll, I'll tell it to you um so what did you think about this episode going in uh going in i was dreading it watching it i was dreading it and when i was done watching it i was thankful Mm, me too i was in the same place really it just feels a bit fillery although it has got some funny elements so let's talk about it i guess yeah (laughs) is this going to be the shortest podcast ever (laughs) (laughs) i've I've actually got quite a few things to say about it despite not liking it very much but it just it never quite gets going for me is what i feel like yeah that's okay we can always pad this podcast out with alan Alan parts conversation yeah 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 cool uh, right, then. yeah so we kind of just kick everything off with uh 
we're in the landing of Apollo House, a place that we never see again and have only seen one other time. Sort when of. is this? When he the previous time, as I remember, is when he's not. He's afraid to go out because he needs to get toilet roll. But the kids are kicking the ball up against the door, and Tony comes in. Is that the only other time we've seen this area? I, I, yes, I think it is. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Um, Mark is thinking about how he's just been to Mr. Patel's, and he sees Elena, and he's worried about being doing small talk with her. Um, I highlighted this in my notes because. I live my whole life in fear of small talk, even though I'm not shy. I really, I, I just, I, the thing I hate most is at, at work when you see someone from another department who you sort of know, but you know you've got to, like, so we go and pick up the year sevens from the playground before their lessons. And it's terrible if you're out there with another subject like maths, who I don't really know them, but you don't feel like you can ignore them. So you stand there and you do small talk and it's hideous. Is this peculiar to the English or do you also hate small talk or do Americans live for this shit? Um, you know, it's weird. Uh, I personally really enjoy small talk. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm the best at it, but I can make it work. And that's mostly because my job requires that I engage in constant small talk with people I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there is that aspect of it. Um, I know that my wife is not really a fan of small talk, so I think it's just kind of one of those, you know, personal preferences. Yeah. Well, I'm with Mark on this. I would walk out of the way to avoid small talk with Elena, so I understand what he's going through at this point. Yeah, but fortunately, he doesn't really have to walk out of the way because Elena's on the phone. But this is also equally horrific to Mark because now he's going to have to hear Elena in Jeremy's sexy chat. Yes, so she's um, sort of being sexy with someone on the phone that we presume is Jeremy. Um, but then Mark's phone rings and it is Jeremy. So it's clear that whoever she's talking to sexily is not Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, Mark tells Jeremy that he got the Rizla papers, but he got normal because he refused to ask for king size. He says it's like asking for a hypodermic needle. <laughs> and then he also did not, def he also definitely did not get Jeremy the lube he asked for. No, would Mr. Patel's even have lube? I've written in my notes. It seems like, <laughs> seems unlikely to me that Mr. Patel's shop would be stocking. As we later find out, it's economy, what does he say, Latvian feta and economy cornflakes it doesn't seem like the sort of place that would stock lube i would say yeah i agree with you um what's the most embarrassing combo of items you've ever purchased when i, I was like i don't know actually you tell me yours and i'll have a think about it when i was like 17 or so um i had to go get you know out with my girlfriend and um i bought a razor because i had to shave a box of condoms and ice cream and i wonder you know like what that lady thought we were going to be getting into that <laughs> night. I don't. I can't think of a, an embarrassing combination of things I've bought, or a particularly weird combination of things that I've bought. I have to say, so maybe I never have. <laughs> Whenever I have to buy stuff like that, I always just look for the teller who I don't think is going to make small talk with me because I just want to get in and get out. Which is why the self checkout lanes are such a godsend. Yeah. So when I the day I found out I was pregnant with Sadie. Um, my oldest daughter, I went to buy a pregnancy test and I obviously bought like 10 of them because that's what you do <laughs> and like to be sure. And I remember I remember being in Sainsbury's Newbury Park and the woman at the checkout, a like it's just one of those it's one of those things that you don't you just shouldn't mention someone's buying because it's not 
either they really want to be pregnant and they're going to cry if you ask them about it, or they really don't want to be pregnant and they're going to cry if you ask about it. And she said, oh, are you hoping it's a yes? And I said, I was. And she said, oh, hope like God blesses you with this. It was just horribly embarrassing. So, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> Self-checkout is the way forward. Yeah, self-checkout's the way forward. Damn the economy and the jobs that are going to yeah. be lost. The robots. We need the robots. Yeah, yeah. Um, Elena kind of realizes at this point that Mark has kind of heard more than he should have heard. And um, she says goodbye to the person that she's on the phone with. And then she starts talking to Mark. And Mark definitely does not want to be pulled into Jeremy and Elena's emotional fuck pie. <laughs> no. Um, have you ever known about someone being cheated on and not known what to do? Have you, have you ever suspected someone or known someone was being cheated on and that you should have probably told but didn't know whether you should or not um (laughs) (laughs) that you can talk Uh, about (laughs) um yes uh i initially wasn't gonna say anything but i was recovering from a car accident and so i was all like hepped up on painkillers and i did end up inadvertently revealing it um right inadvertently i see yeah i i definitely have and i definitely haven't said because i just think the messenger always gets shot but thinking back like we were young and it wasn't really that serious a relationship and stuff would i do it now i don't know it'd be a different situation but i just think from mark's point of view here like no good can come of telling Jeremy what he knows. This is a really horrible situation for him to be in. Oh, 100%. This is a worst-case scenario, especially for Mark, who already struggles in, you know, normal conversations <laughs> with people. Yeah, so he and Elena have a conversation about it, and Elena says that uh, it might be better coming from him anyway. And also, isn't there a saying, whatever you don't know only makes you stronger, which Mark says he doesn't think there is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really love how Elena just tries to put it all on Mark, like yeah. the worst person in the world to deal with this shit. She kind of acts as well like it's basically like it's Mark's problem. Like She doesn't even really behave as though she has any part in this. It's like, well, do you think we should tell him? Oh, I know. She has zero agency in, you know, in this. And the scene kind of ends with Mark cursing his big dumb ears he's the man who knew too much yes i'm the man who knew too much great line yeah um finally we get back up to mark's flat and jeremy is upset with that mark would buy him tissue paper to physically wipe his ass but he won't buy him lube for the giving and receiving of pleasure and i've got to be honest i would probably not buy my male roommate lube either no i think i think buy your own lube i think that's a pretty sort of solid philosophy for life um yeah Mark's thinking internally about whether he should tell him about what he's just heard with Elena, but he decides that he doesn't want to and he doesn't know if that's because he doesn't want to hurt Jeremy or because he can't be asked with the massive hassle. Um, He decides to quickly change the subject away from Elena and mentions that Johnson has invited him round to his place and wonders why. Yeah, and uh, he says, could be anything, business, pleasure, and then Jeremy just says he's probably got loads of asshole roommates that he goes whitewater rafting and shooting the shit and killing strippers with the whole time. <laughs> Which is great because we've, I mean, I don't know if this is something culturally that's relevant to you, but where, where I live is very close to the financial district. And a lot of the boys I went to school with, I was going to say the less bright boys, that's probably a bit unfair. 
but like certainly the ones that didn't go to university and you know went straight out to work ended have ended up in jobs in the city where this could be describing them very well like drinks in the city back in with a hangover the next day to do some brokering or stock market shit or whatever they do white water rafting at the weekends and probably killing strippers yeah uh things aren't much different here in america yeah. we definitely have that cadre of people yes um we see now that jez has made a paper mache bust of elena's head for her birthday it's terrifying <laughs> it is terrifying um i sort of wish that elena's bust had or this bust of elena had been like an object that you saw in jeremy's room going forward yeah that's true actually that would have been good I, but maybe he was too heartbroken in the end to keep it um, I tweeted earlier in the week about this because um, a journalist uh, at Nicole Cliff was talking about the most embarrassing things people have done for love. And the paper mache bust made me think of this because when I was about 19, um, I made the bin burning boyfriend a book with like handwritten copies of poems he liked and song lyrics and photos and stuff. It was really earnest. I made him a really earnest gift, a bit like Jeremy's done here. And he responded to it. Uh, I'd, I'd worked on it for about six weeks. I'd put a lot of time and effort into this. And he opened it. It was Christmas. Looked at it like he just unwrapped a pound of raw liver. Didn't say anything. Then handed me my Christmas present, which was a Johnny Depp calendar. And I'm not even a Johnny Depp fan. So, <laughs> so I think it would be fair to say that I know where Jeremy's coming from here. I've I've made the heartfelt <laughs> gift and it was, it was not well received. Oh my gosh, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's worried that this bust is weird, as you would be, and Mark is maybe overcompensating and telling him that it's not. He says, no, no, a thousand times no. Jeremy kind of talks about his feelings for Elena and tells Mark that when he finally falls in love, he will totally understand. And I was just like, why are you bringing this up again, Jeremy? Why are you being such a fucking asshole to your buddy? It's true. It's the second time he's brought it up in as many episodes. And I can only assume that he just feels so differently for Elena from anyone else he's previously felt anything for that he feels he has to keep mentioning it. But it it does seem like a bit of a weird topic to keep bringing up. And Mark's not responding well to it, is he? No, no, he isn't. And Mark just thinks uh, he could wipe Jeremy out with the news about Elena, but he thinks that would be like picking off innocent bystanders with a sniper rifle. Fun at first, but then a depressing chore. Yes, this made me laugh because I've just this week, week been rereading We Need to Talk About Kevin after uh, I heard the beginning of it. Um, it was it was book at bedtime years ago on Radio 4 and I heard, caught the beginning of it and I thought, oh, that was a great book and read it again and was like, oh, disturbing book. Hadn't read it since I'd had children either and was like, oh, shouldn't have read that this week. This will be giving me nightmares. So this did that line did make me laugh out loud. Jesus. Hold on, I'm just reading the uh, synopsis of this. God damn, this does sound like a really dark book. Do you not know about We Need to... It was a film. It was a, it was a massive yeah. deal, oh. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I have seen the film. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I have seen the film. That's yeah. really dark. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I was... Yeah, I forgot about the whole archery part at the end. Yeah, spoilers. For anyone that's not read We Need to Talk About Oh, yeah, Kevin. yeah, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I think this was on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, I do remember watching this. Now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure up. it is on Netflix at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it had Tilda Swinton in it, and That's I fucking right. love Tilda Swinton. Yeah, me and Phil went to see it in a random 
like 11 a.m. showing when we our train got delayed in Edinburgh and Phil didn't know anything about it and was just like, why have you taken me to see this fucking disturbing film? Oh my fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Oh my God. Yeah, wow. What a... Yeah, that's really random. Yeah. Um, so we moving on. So we yeah. um we we now move on to uh, Mark going to visit Johnson, and it's he arrives at Johnson's new house, and Mark is thinking, uh, "Oh, is this his recession residence? Because it's fucking horrible. It's a sixties architectural nightmare, like ex council house situation, and just completely not where you'd imagine Johnson to live." Yeah, for some reason, I always thought that this was Big Sue's house for some reason. No, because Big Sue lives in that beautiful house that's got the stained glass windows in the door. Because I've written this in my notes, that it doesn't make any sense they'd be living here because Sue has that house, which we know she still has later on because she throws the New Year's Eve party at it. And it's like a lovely Victorian house with a massive hallway and a stained glass window. But for some reason, at the moment, they're living in Johnson's shithole ex-council house yeah i i guess i just never paid enough close enough attention to the house (laughs) yeah you know but um mark thinks anyway that hey it's not much to look at but apparently alan sugar actually operates out of a refurbished autofix garage so you know don't judge a book by its cover as mark knocks on the door and he you know johnson opens the door mark starts to walk in but johnson says like no, you can't come in yet until you answer this question. Are you ready to make shed loads of freaking money? And he he really says shit loads, but it was kind of the way, it's kind of his typical Johnsonisms. He, you know, pronounces words a little weird. And um, Mark says, yes, I am. And yes. he says, come on in. Yes. Um, he then tells Mark about this idea to create a, a management consultancy. Um and he says that he'll be the face of it and marks the, you know, the tendons and the grizzly shit under the surface. He's going to be doing the, the grunt work. Uh, and Mark is immediately on board because he loves the idea of being abused by Johnson. Yeah. Let me just ask this question. Do you think that Johnson ever really wanted to start this company? Um, I, I think he's potentially losing his mind at this point. So perhaps not. He maybe he needs a pr- something to keep him busy more than he actually has the desire to start this off what do you think i'll be honest i don't think johnson has the business acumen to actually start a company like this uh, to be honest at this point i'm not even sure he's got the two grand to put in his half so uh, uh, if it was a front for something else that might make sense yeah uh i'm not yeah i don't know um Mark tells him the only problem is he knows nothing about management consultancy. Um, Johnson trains him. He says, in, fire 30% of the workforce, new logo, boom, out. You are now a fully trained management consultant. Yeah, and, and Mark's thrilled by this. And Johnson says, you're like the fat girl that's just got asked to the school disco and leads Mark <laughs> upstairs to his bedroom stroke office. Yes, the nerve center, which is a really small bedroom. With a computer on a really small desk and the biggest fucking bed I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's a massive bed. Um, Mark instantly notices Alan's pajamas are still in the bed with the duvet sort of not pulled back. Like the bed's not been made, the bed's still a mess. And Mark's like, oh, you never want to see the pajamas. And he sort of quietly makes the bed. 
Yeah. Uh, while he's making the bed, Johnson is trying to hook up the printer and he's like stepping on the chair and like leaning over and all this crazy stuff. And he's just, just doing his Johnson thing where he's just talking about all random shit he can. Um, he puts his hands on the computer and he says, good old Vista. People give it bad press, but I'm never upgrading. Why would I? It just feels like a good pair of jeans. Well, and, you know, so it made me wonder, like, well, what was the reception of Windows Vista? And Wikipedia has, I am not kidding you, a, like, a full featured article about just the the criticisms of Windows Vista. So it apparently was not a good operating system, even though I thought it was pretty rad. I do remember there being people saying it was shit, but... So for it to for it to have penetrated my consciousness, it must have been a big thing of people saying it was shit. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, and then basically right after this, Johnson asked Mark to make them some builders tea. Um, what is builders tea? Like really milky with about twenty sugars in it. Jesus, that sounds horrible. As beloved by builders, yeah. So the cliche is that builders love their tea weak and sweet and I, if i'm gonna drink a cup of tea i do want about five sugars in it but um i don't drink tea very often i don't i think the fact that i need five sugars in it tells you that tea's not very nice i know that's not that's completely against my people but i don't get tea at all yeah we've had this conversation before and it always cracks me up that you're like the one british person i've met that hates tea yeah they most british people live on it but not not for me don't understand it but if i'm gonna have it i will have a builder's tea please even my uncle who is from America, likes tea. It's because like, it's so socially conditioned. It's the answer to everything. We get offered it everywhere we go. That's why. It will just be overexposure. You can you can grow to like anything if you're, if you're made to drink it often enough. I like how we're talking about everything but this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just anything to not have to talk about how shit this episode is. Um... So Mark walks into the kitchen and Big Suze is in there reading a script. I was trying to figure out what the fuck is going on in this kitchen because she has the smallest desk imaginable. It has a microwave and the biggest fucking CRT television. Like Big Suze on this entire desk has about one square foot of space to actually do work at. Did you notice that too or was that just me? No, I did notice that she didn't have much space, but... The whole situation is odd that they're in this house anyway, so who knows? Could be could be anything. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that Big Sue says to Mark is to tell him that his phone is done charging. Yep, and um, we can tell instantly that things just aren't great between them because the way she talks about him is contemptuous. Nope, she doesn't talk to him. She talks to people. Yeah, the way no, the way she tell- talks about him. Sorry, yeah, is contemptuous. Um, and then we hear Johnson shouting down, Suze, where are the big scissors? Have you moved the big scissors? Uh, which she just sort of rolls her eyes at. Yeah, and she tells them they're in the cling film drawer. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a really, this is a, a, a line that gets referenced all the time on JLB, whatever the fuck it's called now. Uh, does this line, like, I don't, I, I mean, sure, it's funny, but I mean, I don't think this line is like an all-time you know, classic. What, the scissors line? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's that. It's like you say, it's quite funny, but it's, and the thing that's funny about it is more the way he says it rather than the actual content of the sentence. So it it, it loses something written down as well. Yeah. 
Um, Suze tells Mark that she is studying for the stage version of Crash, um, which is uh, um, it's a movie about how all the different races are all the same, but they're all a bit different, and it's all fine. The blackies, the whiteies, etc. And then she kind of clarifies that she is going to be playing a whitey. Yeah, typecast again. Um, yep. It's so for those of you that haven't seen it, it is a film about racial and social tensions in Los Angeles, um, and it involves a lot of car accidents, as the title would um, suggest. And I assume that this is the joke. It just you couldn't put it on stage. I don't know how that would work. I feel like that they've mentioned this movie before in in Peep Show as well. Yes, me too. Although I can't quite remember where. Maybe what year was it? Maybe two thousand and four. Maybe it was just a fave of the writers at the time. I think they talk about how it's the movie about how people have sex after having a car crash. Oh yeah, people feeling sexy after car accidents. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn, I can't remember what episode. No, that I was. can't either. Um, but Sue's anyway is she's busy. Um, sort of trying to learn her lines for this audition. Yep. Um, Mark walks back up to the bedroom with the tea and he's thinking about, you know, builder's tea and how they have these slang words that, you know, the middle class is responsible for all this slang and um, he hands Alan his tea and then Alan just kind of looks at him and says, did you make my bed, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Mark says no and then Johnson says that he had a wife already and he doesn't want another wife. Uh so, or he says something like, does he say, I need another wife, like I need a hole in the fucking head or something like that? Yeah. And yeah. and uh, and Mark thinks, well, you know, I am your wife in a way. Yeah. Um, have we, Has Johnson ever mentioned the fact that he's a divorcee? I don't, think, like I don't think he has before. No, I, I was thinking about this. Although, I don't know if it's just because I've seen all the episodes so many times and this reference. And but I think I always assumed he was divorced because he's sort of yeah. of that age and a bit of a twat. Well, and I think it makes his misogyny make sense. Yes, yeah. Um, not that it's good, not that I'm defending his misogyny. I'm just saying that it, it, it you know, and his most, contempt for women. And most people uh, do get married at some point. And if you, you know, if you take that statistic into account, you would divorce Johnson, wouldn't you? So it stands to reason oh, that he's Jesus, divorced. in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, Johnson then starts to tell Mark that to start the company off, they need funding. And, and he reckons that they need, each need to put a tour in. And Mark is doesn't know whether he means two quid, two million pounds, two thousand pounds. It could be anything. But Johnson then clarifies that it's two thousand pounds he's talking about and says that he needs it in cash because when the banks collapse, as they're surely about to, uh, the person holding the cash is going to be getting a lot of blowjobs. And Mark sort of nods along, but he doesn't really look like he's thinking this is a good idea. Nope. Nope, he is not thinking he looks, this is a good idea at all. No. And you know, 2,000 pounds is almost like about $2,900 American. So I can I can see with uh, Mark's trepidation. Like, yeah, it's not a small amount of money. That's, you know, that's like a almost a yeah. month's wages kind of money. Um, I was literally screaming at the TV, don't be a fucking idiot at this point. Just don't put any money into Johnson's madcap schemes. He can't even hook up the wireless printer that's probably not wireless, like... He's not the man to be investing your money in, I don't think. Nope. And, you know, this is a like a reoccurring trait with Mark. Well, I shouldn't say reoccurring, but it's a thing that happens a couple times in the show where um, 
Mark kind of throws good money away. Well, he does it with the the um, publisher, doesn't he? And for someone who's, so, you know, a lot of his character traits are that he's sort of risk averse. He does do some pretty stupid things with his money sometimes. Yep. Yep. Some very stupid things. Yeah. So next scene, we um, Mark walks into his flat and uh, he sees Jeremy and Elena kind of cuddled up on the couch and he really, really doesn't want to be there right now. <laughs> no, um, and Jez tries to involve Mark in his conversation about him and Elena going on holiday and he asks Mark if there's any war or bomb shit going on in Crete. Yeah, uh, Jeremy is just being so overly nice to Mark in the scene. He's like, what's up, dude? And, um, you know, Mark is trying to excuse himself to get out of the room and um he's like you know oh you guys can just keep talking about whatever you were talking about and um jeremy's just like oh i'm just so happy and excited i'm just gonna go to the kitchen and get some vodka yes and um and then while he's left the room mark tells elena that she needs to tell him about the, the partner and she says that she wanted to but jeremy was holding a big knife because he was cutting limes um and she says to mark that really he should tell him because you know, he's his friend and it would be better coming from him. But then just right as they're talking about this, Jeremy walks back in and asks what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Mark is Mark and Elena kind of have this very funny back and forth where they're both, neither of them wants to tell Jeremy what they were talking about. But uh, um, finally, Mark just, you know, says, you know, that Elena's been cheating on you. She has a long-term live-in lover and he's just a fuck job on the side. Yeah. And Elena just looks so hurt by this and says yeah, that Jeremy says, is much more than a fuck job on the yeah, side. Yeah, not just a fuck job. Um, but, you know, what can you do? This has happened now. You're not just a fuck job on the side. Um, but Jeremy's more upset that Mark's waited two days to tell him. And Mark doesn't really <laughs> understand why he's getting so upset with him. And he's like, well, don't shoot the messenger. And Jeremy, of course, wants to know more about the long-term lover. And says, is he a poet in a diving bell? Is he dying? Will he be gone soon? And Elena says that, no, it's a long-term relationship. Um, they're committed, but the girl's been abroad for a while. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it clicks with Jeremy. Gail, as in a woman, yeah. my love rifle is a chick. Yeah, and Elena's like, oh, are you disgusted by that? And we cut to Mark in his bedroom, who is at his desk now transferring the money to Johnson. Yeah, and then Jeremy just kind of bursts in and he calls Mark a dick and he says Elena's partner is a woman and they eat from different sides of the plate. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, he says, we're eating, eating from different sides of the plate. I play woodwind, cheese on brass. Um, oh, you can yes. see that Jeremy clearly thinks this is like a guaranteed ticket to a threesome. And he is, you know, as he's saying this, Mark says, but, you know, like it's still she's still cheating on someone she's still cheating on you does that not bother you why does it matter that she's a woman and jeremy says because it's hot even a dried up desiccated old brown flake on toast like you should be able to see that surely <laughs> yeah and then uh mark thinks if he's a dried up old bran flake jeremy's what like a slutty um sugar puff <laughs> sh slutty sugar puff yeah <laughs> yeah um so next we go back to johnson's house and mark clearly does not want to work with Johnson. No, he says that the downtime's basically non-existent in this job. He can't get away with like more than one lengthy toilet break a day. Um, 
and Johnson's just on his balls the whole time, wants to know how it went in the bathroom, and he's confused before he can say anything. Um, Johnson clarifies that he doesn't mean what went on in the bathroom, he means, like, did you have any ideas, leads, pitches? And he's just being super intense. Yes, I really enjoy this when uh, Mark is, like, very confused about what Johnson is actually wanting to know about his bathroom. And then Johnson clarifies, like, ideas, pitches, um, leads. And then uh, he tells Mark that he went ahead and ordered 100 uh, business cards. And they decided to, Mark asked what the name of the business is, Consultio or Consultius. And Johnson is just like, eh, fuck it. We just got it both on there. We are Consultio, Consultius. <laughs> yeah. Um, Johnson is still battling with this wireless maybe not wireless printer. He's becoming increasingly angry and he ends up shouting, print you damnable fudger at the printer. And Mark looks at him and just says, look, it's not plugged in. And Johnson says, that's because it's wireless. And Mark's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean there are no wires, but Johnson's just having none of it. Johnson says that they'll, they uh, can just stick it in the later base and get it working later. Yeah, it's one of my favorite expressions at work, which I quite often say, and no one else knows what I'm talking about, but I often <laughs> say I'm going to put things on the later base. One other little visual uh, joke that I love in this scene is when Johnson hands Mark the business card, and it has Alan's name in, like, giant-ass letters, and then Mark's name is, like, in very small print. <laughs> yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, that is a very funny visual gag that you have to, uh, that you d I didn't notice it the first, like, I hadn't noticed it until I rewatched it this time. Yeah, it's great. I could totally see Johnson being dickish enough to make his name gigantic and Mark's name very small. Definitely. Um... Johnson then starts talking about his relationship with Suze um, because she pops in to tell Mark and Alan that she's going out. Um, but he, but Johnson's on the phone and then when Mark tries to clarify where she is, Johnson sort of starts talking about how he knows that something's going on with her. She's definitely cheating on him. Mark says that Big Suze has left to get milk and Johnson starts talking about how he knows that she's seeing someone. Is it the guy from the Smeg oven or the monk she's emailing, which was a great callback to Stu. Yeah, glad to see she's uh, still in touch with Stu. Yeah. Um, Mark tries to tell Johnson that it's probably not about milk, but Johnson says, well, what is it about, Mark? Oh, you don't know? Then maybe you should just keep your trap shut. <laughs> <laughs> um, he then switches gear and starts asking Mark if he can get that 2K. Um, and... He is trying to kind of not put him off, but Mark is trying to be honest and say that he's concerned about recouping the cost in the current climate of, of the economy. Yeah, and but Johnson, you know, he's got a solution for that. They uh, they have a solid lead who is looking very forward to seeing them in the future. <laughs> and now Mark is a little worried here. Yes, Johnson's very excited by this standard email sign-off, but Mark, not so much. Yeah. Um, next, we are in Elena's flat, and it's just Jeremy and Elena, and they are in the kitchen, and they are talking about how great their affair is, but then the door opens. Yes, um, they're talking about how it's exciting having an affair, and Elena was worried this morning when Jess phoned, but then she just told Gail it was someone else. Um, but then Gail walks in and 
it doesn't catch him doing anything, but it's clear that this is a, a strange new dynamic with Gail being back in the country. Yes, I really enjoy this part where Jeremy's got like he's standing in the kitchen and he's like, "Yeah, headed for a threesome, <laughs> a sexy lesbo threesome," and he's wondering how much of his shirt he should have unbuttoned. Um, is it too much? Is it too much, or is it? Does he look like a dick? Like, what's you know, what he should he be doing? He definitely here? does look like a dick. Um, um, Elena and Jez explained that Jez has come down to buy some drugs. He's just another local pothead, is what Jez says. Um, and he says yeah. <laughs> he says that he's got a system, which is that he buys the drugs here and he takes them to his own flat to smoke. And Gail just looks at him like he's a fucking clinical moron. Which, to be fair, he is coming across as here. Yeah, I really enjoy this. He's just like, I'm just the pothead that lives upstairs. I buy the drugs here, take them upstairs. That's my system. It's <laughs> yeah. really fucking funny. Um, at this point, Gail walks out, and we find out that Gail works at a restaurant and also is part of Mensa. Um, I want to... Maybe I'll, I'll put a pin in this until we actually get to Banditos, but do you think that the restaurant is really just a front for Gail's re real job as a drug kingpin? It certainly seems strange that she is a genius who manages a Mexican restaurant. No disrespect to any managers of Mexican restaurants out there, but, you know, if she's got Mensa-level intelligence, what's going on? And also, why was she abroad? Because she had to go away for a while abroad what was she doing? Research on Mexican restaurants? That can only point Dude. to some sort of drug kingpinery, I would say. Oh my god. I'm so glad that you brought this up because this was one of the big things that was driving me nuts in this episode. Is, uh, I mean, granted, look, it's a comedy. I get that. I don't want people to think that we're, you know, looking at this as a serious movie or a serious TV show that, you know, shouldn't have plot holes or whatever. But I feel like Gail is just so goddamn lazy where, you know, like, she's been gone for months. She apparently runs a restaurant. How was the restaurant running? Yeah, the only thing that I can, that, like, I suppose when I sort of started to think about it this afternoon was my mind has filled in the gaps for them, which is what they were hoping, I suspect. As like you said, this is quite lazy writing. But is it that... So I think in my head, when I tried to like subconsciously flesh out the bits, I was thinking that Gail was like doing a PhD or something like that. And that she's, maybe she is managing the restaurant a bit, but then I used to be a manager at Domino's when I was a student as well. It was just because I could speak English. And maybe she does do some shifts where she's a manager at the Mexican restaurant, but she's just doing that on the side of like her super brainy PhD where she's just been out for a dig in Egypt. That's what I think... I had in the back of my mind that this was like the lifestyle she was leading, but none of that's ever explicitly said. So what can we assume about Gail? It doesn't actually make any sense. The things we know yeah. about her don't make sense. Yeah. Everything that we know about Gail makes zero to no sense. No. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like Gail generally, like she's funny um, in her limited appearances in the show, but yeah, when you just start kind of thinking about, everything in the context of her character it just doesn't make a lot of sense no um she this is discussed how she's in mensa and jez starts thinking that she's not so clever now i'm humping your girlfriend are you you might be a big mensen but you haven't figured that one out and um <laughs> and he's got this just horrible smug look on his face while he's thinking it yep uh, next morning we see the full paper mache bust <laughs> it looks nothing like elena 
it looks like uh i don't know it looks like something that you would find in a like a cheap haunted house yeah it's all splotchy and the skin's not the same color all over and it looks like he's just run out of paint and patience halfway through yeah the hair just is a black wig just yeah slapped on top no you know styling to it or anything no. it's very funny um jez was going to make elena a birthday breakfast but gail took the morning off unexpectedly to surprise her and jez is clearly vaguely depressed by all of this this is the this is the bad side to the affair yeah um but he's you know tries to stay upbeat he says that they were going to watch the wrestler last night but she'd already seen it with gail so we watched grand designs and then Kale came home, so I had to leave. So now that we're here, let's talk about the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Yeah, you you talk to me about the wrestler. What what are your feelings on that movie? Okay, so I love that movie. It's great. There's a lot of wonderful like cameos from wrestlers in it. It was filmed at a like the last part where he's actually wrestling the match was filmed in a company called Ring of Honor. Like the the hardcore guy that he wrestles, Necro Butcher is an actual wrestler. Um, the uh, uh, the Sultan or whatever his big rival is is a wrestler named Ernest the Cat Miller. Like so, there's just all these nods to wrestling in it. Um, it was very well received within the wrestling community as like a legitimate look at you know the life of some of these guys live. And uh, yeah, I thought it was great. Mickey Rourke was awesome fucking loved it so didn't mickey will actually like train to be a wrestler to, to get into the role of that film am i remembering this correctly uh no he was a boxer um i mean he might have trained to wrestle i know they um as part of the promotion for this movie um there was a wrestler named chris jericho who was you know oh look at this movie this is uh, you know all these old timers you know did all this stuff but i'm smart and i'm you know I'm not going to fall into these same traps. And so um, then it ended at WrestleMania with Mickey Rourke, like knocking out Chris Jericho. Yeah. I remember that. So my story about the wrestler is that famously my husband has got horrible taste in the arts in general, like horrible to no taste in the arts in general. And when we met, he'd seen about three films and we had no kind of like, we, we did have, we did have shared ground because we liked a lot of the same TV shows and stuff like we were both really like Creep Show. It was one of the first things we bonded over. But he hadn't. We we had very different taste in films and stuff. So I would always I was sort of introducing him to to movies and stuff when we first met. Um, but he kept going on about this film, The Wrestler, and how he'd seen it and it was really good. And I was just like, sure it is because the other film that you said you loved was Men in Black Two. Like I was really, really, really a bitch about this. And about two years into our relationship he got his hands on a DVD copy of The Wrestler and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really great film and he always uses The Wrestler as a, as a <laughs> stick to beat me with even like seven years later. I'm like, well, you said you weren't going to like The Wrestler and you thought that was a great film. So this is always uh, what he harps back to when I'm not listening to him about, oh, that would be a great movie. Okay, so when I finally come to England, you, me, Phil and Nicole can all watch The Wrestler. <laughs> We're going to watch The Wrestler and I'm going to be proven wrong all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but poor old Jeremy never gets to see it because Elena's already seen it with Gail. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there's a very funny part here coming. That There's a very funny part here 
um, very funny conversation between Mark and Jeremy that I'm just going to go ahead and throw in for you guys to hear. The Masterful Delivery by Mitchell and Webb. Big Suze. She keeps leaving these endless messages saying about how pissed off she is with Johnson and how he goes around writing his name on all the fruit. And if she accidentally eats a Johnson orange, then he totally loses it. How's it going with Consultiarium? Brilliant. Yeah, great. And one good thing is I'm worrying quite a lot of the time whether Johnson isn't totally losing his nut. Really? Yeah, I look at him sometimes now and, and think, you know, has Daddy's hat fallen off? Daddy's hat? Yes, has Daddy's hat fallen off and he's just standing there naked? I don't know. He'll probably be fine. Uh, Mark, maybe scratch the pancakes? Girl's gone out to Pilates. I've got a window. You've been summoned. Exactly. Back to the cold face. Right, OK. Keys, condoms, present. OK, off to my affair. See you later. <laughs> i love the i love this idea that johnson labels all his fruit yeah it's the, the image of it is is just a funny physical image and i think as well it ties into that idea of like i don't know if you ever had a living experience like this but when i was a student we all used to write our names on our food and especially when we lived in halls of residence it all got ugly if anyone touched anyone else's stuff and i can really imagine like the johnson orange being a problem in a halls of residence but it's really funny that this is happening in their actual relationship. And I also really enjoy the idea that everyone calls Johnson daddy. This actually was uh, quite an issue at the company that I worked for last year where people were stealing other people's lunches to the point where um, our the guy that's in charge of our entire building had to send an email out to adults that said, hey, quit stealing each other's fucking lunches, you idiots. Yeah, it happens everywhere, though. I think that I've never had a job where there wasn't some kind of, like, you know, not, like, major problems with stealing stuff, but you can't you can't leave anything lying around, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then next scene, we have Mark, and he's sitting in the kitchen, and he's reading a text message from Johnson who's saying, and the text message basically says, you got my money, motherfucker. Yeah. And um, Mark's thinking, is this okay? Because it doesn't really feel okay. But, you know, you know what Mark's like. He's he's really bad at saying no to people. He's really, really bad at saying no to Johnson. Yeah. Um, before he can really think about it too much, though, Jeremy walks in and he's got Gail and Elena with him. And he says, you know, oh, here's the front room naturally. Mark is kind of questioning Jeremy is like why they are here. And Jeremy just says, Oh, it's just a couple of neighbors come down to have a chat about getting you a job in a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> yeah. And he explains that Gail walked in out of the blue again. So he had to have a kind of a reason for her to be there. And also if Mark gets a job in the restaurant, he can track Gail's movements for him. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark is just like, what? No, no. <laughs> And then before he can really protest too much, Gail walks in and just says, oh, you're the guy who wants to work in the Mexican <laughs> restaurant. And Mark just says, uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy says, right, sign him up then. And then says that he's going to go out and get booze because they've run out. Yep. And then he tells Elena, hey, you wanted me to remind you. And Elena's like, remind you about what? And Jeremy just is like, your car's on pay-in display. What does that mean? Okay, so when you park in like a car park or on a parking meter you get you pay for it before you do the parking so you pay for it for a certain oh. amount of time and you get a ticket you put in your window 
it's becoming less and less a thing now because people do it on like their mobiles and stuff and the the parking wardens can just check oh, your registration okay. but it's a physical yeah. ticket you put in the window yeah yeah okay yeah we have parking meters as well yeah here, i mean so, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't okay. make sense that elena's car would be on pain display where she lives but whatever yeah i mean gail is in mensa and doesn't come to that conclusion so i think we're probably safe <laughs> yeah the lazily written gale hasn't worked this out so yeah yeah um so then uh jeremy and elena leave gale and mark to kind of talk to each other and um gale says that you know they're always looking for english speaking people at banditos and mark says that he's not that hard up for a job yet but then she goes well you know you can't make 100 pounds a shift with tips and mark's like I could work with Johnson by day, Banditos at night. I'd be like Zorro. <laughs> I fail to believe that he could make a hundred pounds a night in when we later see this Mexican restaurant. This is a this is a this is the bottom rung of the chain of Mexican restaurants. I would say this is not like a Chiquitos. This is a this is rough. I him earning a hundred pounds in a night on tips from those people just seems very unlikely to me. Uh, I was trying to work this out in my head that if he worked you know, a six hour shift or something like that, that a hundred dollars a night. I mean, I would fucking work at that place for a hundred dollars a day. So would I, I would, I would give up teaching and I would work in the evening. So I had no childcare issues. If that was a guaranteed thing, unfortunately, when I was a waitress, I, fair enough. It was, it was a long time ago now and I was a student, but people do not tip that generously. There's not a massive tipping culture in this country. You are not going to walk out with that kind of money. Oh, see, that's funny because in America there's a very big tipping culture. Yeah, but I, I know you guys are mad for tipping. But there's actually kind of this big push to move away from tipping um, because waiters and waitresses here are paid like pennies. It's insane. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the the difference is that, the, don't get me wrong, the pay is still not great here, but we there is a minimum wage and there is like a living wage in London that people are meant to stick by, so it's tipping's not such a big deal because it's not meant to make up your actual wages which i think it is meant to over there in hospitality yeah basically the way that it works here is that um waiters and waitresses have to make a minimum of i think it's like 750 an hour or something like that and so their base pay is what, seven, i mean seven dollars fifty an hour is the what they're meant to make like with tips Oh, that's our fucking minimum wage at seven dollars and fifty cents. What is that? That's disgusting. Hang on, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna see what that is in. Because I, I thought our minimum wage was bad, but it's more than that. What is? Hold on, let me double check that it hasn't rate. gone up, but I'm pretty sure it's seven fifty. What is minimum wage in America? Yeah. So, oh, so I oh, I was off. It's seven twenty-five an hour. Oh, Jesus, is the you were United being States. So that's five pounds and thirty-one pence. What's our what is our uh, minimum wage now? Uh, oh, it's a calculate. Are you laughing because we're actually Googling this? No, I, yeah, I'm just laughing because we're desperately trying to like pod, pad this podcast out. And so we're talking about everything. And now the podcast is running long on an episode we don't really want to talk about. Um, so, okay. And now ours isn't much more than that. That's shocking. Yeah, but as is seven pounds eighty three an hour, so it's it's significantly more, but it's not as much as I thought it was. 
Yeah, but what happens is that waiters and waitresses, they basically, if they make after tips less than seven twenty-five an hour, the restaurants are obligated to pay them the difference. Right. Does that does yeah, that make that sense? Makes sense. And so there's kind of this push in general to just get rid of tipping and just pay waiters and waitresses seven twenty-five an hour. Like there's a couple of restaurants here in Kansas that like when you walk in, they literally say, this is not a tipping establishment. Please do not tip the waiters and waitresses. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I think I like that idea more because it takes the pressure off the consumer and makes the companies actually pay a living wage to their, their workers. Well, the only thing that annoys me about it is that there's people who are like, oh, well, then that's just carte blanche for them to give a shitty service. And all I have to say is, like, good waiters are still going to be good, and bad waiters are still going to be bad, regardless if you're tipping them or not. I mean, that's not a problem over here, because we do not have your levels of customer service. Like, if you don't get spat at, that's good customer service, as far as we're concerned <laughs> over here. So, not a problem we have. Yeah. So, um, Mark at this point gets a text message that says, Me and E go in bed at hers, keep Gale sweat. Um, and Mark realizes that Jeremy and Elena are going to go fuck over at Elena's and he needs to keep Gale occupied. Um, Gale attempts to leave, but Mark stops her and asks her the difference between a burrito and an enchilada. Yeah, this really made me laugh because when I worked at Pizza Hut in the early noughties, uh, as a waitress, we had to go on a day's course where we had to learn all this mad shit about pizzas. And one bit I remember, we had to do a test and we had to do a test um, on like the ingredients in the stuff. And I remember that there were pictures of different cheeses and we had to identify what they were. And it really made me laugh because there was definitely a video we had to watch. So clearly Banditos <laughs> is following the same the same uh, uh, structure as Pizza Hut did. Um, but yeah, yeah she, uh, she, Gail, sorry, Gail, not Elena. Gail says that there's a video and she's going to go. But Mark continues to try and make her stay. And that's when she says, look, I've got a partner. It's the same sex thing. And I don't find you attractive anyway, even objectively. So she completely shoots him down, even though that's not what he was, he was vying for. I love this. And then Mark just thinks to himself, great, the big triple, uninterested, unavailable, and physically repulsed. <laughs> Poor Mark. He can't even pull Poor when he's not Mark. trying to. The next, next scene... Week... Oh, go on. No, you first, ma'am. Um, <laughs> the next scene then is the flat... Uh, upstairs, well, down. Do they live upstairs or downstairs from each other? They're in Elena and Gail's flat anyway. It, it's weird because it looks like that. So here's the way that I have interpreted this scene is that this is all happening while Mark and Gail are talking because it looks like that they're just standing in the hallway right outside of the flat. And, yes. And Jez is like, come on, we've got a window. Elena's like, oh, I'm not in the mood. And then they walk back into the apartment, but that doesn't make any sense because Jeremy has sent a text to Mark saying that they're about to fuck. So, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense Maybe it's me. wishful thinking on his part, or maybe the time frame's a little bit out. But um, either way, she says that she's not in the mood, and then she says we need to be more careful because Gail's in Mensa. She reads books for fun, for God's sake. She's gone to us. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, and then they decide that this can't happen. So they decide to part company and, and Jez is going to go back in first. 
Yeah, and then Elena's going to come back five minutes later as not to arouse suspicion. Yeah, so Jess comes back in, says that he's back and he's got the booze, he's got half a bottle of rum, and then he says, I have to admit, I drank a bit of it on the way back, and Gail is confused. I don't know if she's sceptical or confused or what, but she says, you drank half a bottle of rum on the way back from the shop, and he's like, what can I say? Sometimes you just can't wait for seconds to get hit of that neat sweet rum. Yeah, I like when he takes the big chug of rum in the face he just makes is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like he could have possibly drunk a whole half a bottle of it with the, the repulsion that he shows. Oh god, I know, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> I love it. He he just takes this like big swig of rum and he just like it, he makes like a face like when you eat like a sour patch kid. <laughs> it's dark rum as well, which is like that's not a that's not an easy drink to, to drink a lot nope. on his own, is it? Nope, that is definitely not a chugging drink. No. Um, the next scene, we see the, the Mexican restaurant that's been so much spoken of, uh, and Mark is doing his his trial shift to see if he likes it. I always really hated Banditos and everything to do with Banditos. It was a bit stupid. The whole Banditos arc was a bit stupid. Yes. The best thing about it is when Mark gets fired. Yes. Spoilers. Mostly just because of how he gets fired, but yeah. we'll get there in <laughs> way too many episodes um so he is thinking about all the things that he's got to do he goes to take his first order and he's he goes up to the people that he's serving and says hey can i get some nut- nachos or margaritas to kick you ombres off and <laughs> and it just it's just horrible it's all horrible i love this like gail is giving him like a pep talk before before he goes over there and she's just like tits and teeth mark tits and teeth and um yeah mark tries to do like some improvising when he's talking to the uh to the first table and oh does um, he say something like do you want to the kids it's like do you want something soft or something like that he says yeah yeah Yeah. he says uh can i get some nachos or margaritas or something soft for the little guys to kick you hombres off and he's all pleased with himself oh it's horrible and he's got a little bow tie on it's just awful oh god i know he looks terrible (laughs) Um, so I had, I had one question for you about this scene that I just wanted to talk again about the cultural differences between our two countries. Um, I've heard that water ordering just water is like basically like giving somebody the finger. Is that the case? Yeah. Like you can order it with something. I would say it's fine to order tap water alongside if you're buying a bottle of wine, but you wouldn't just order tap water as you drink. That would be, that would be bad really yeah oh interesting you can have it as Uh, well as but not as only okay because that's all i really like to drink at restaurants is water so well you can you can buy water you can have it out of a bottle but i mean you can there's it's i think it's i think even mark says this is a legal right i think that they can't refuse you but they won't like it yeah and you'll be embarrassed Um, yeah shortly after sitting his first table we get some uh, we get some bad news because Alan and Colin and Naz from Sales Direct all walk in to sit down, and Johnson seems kind of surprised to see Mark at Bandito's. Yes, he's like, "Oh, you got the message then," and and uh, Mark's like, "The message," and he's like, "About meeting here, you obviously did, but why has Alan not noticed that he's dressed as a waiter?" And why the fuck are they meeting at Bandito's in? <laughs> Like, this shitty Mexican restaurant. Yeah, it's a bit far-fetched, I would say. But, hey, they are. And Mark thinks, shit, daddy's hat's back on and has to kind of wing it now as 
being there as part of the meeting. Yeah, this scene is actually really, really funny where Mark is trying to, like, take care of his table that he sat with, but then he's also trying to, you know, talk to Johnson. Um, maybe we'll just go ahead and put this whole part in here. Mark? Hello? Alan? Oh, fuck. Oh, no. You got the message, then? Message? About meeting here, you obviously got it. Uh, yeah. I was worried. But hey, you're here. This is Colin and Naz from Sales Direct. Hi there. Shit. Daddy's hat is back on. This is my business partner, my wingman. Mark Corrigan. Mark? Oh, not now. Table four? Sure thing. What was that? Nothing. Are you working here? Yes, uh, of course. I've, I've mentioned that, I'm sure. So, you're all set for menus. No, you definitely didn't mention that you'd started working in a Mexican restaurant. Well, you know, it's it's just part-time. I'm still your wingman, Alan. It's great to meet you guys. What sort of area are you interested in us taking a look at for you fellas? Table four, Mark. I ought to be going. Cool, cool. I'm just settling these guys in. Can I get you hombres some nachos or margaritas to kick off with? Well, we're grateful you've done all this uh, up front. Oh, don't thank me. Thank the Microsoft Office family. PowerPoint, Excel and Word. The three amigos. So, what's your M.O.? Well, that... Can we get some menus, please? Hold that thought, Colin. Hold that thought for one second. Just got a cold shoulder of the shit munchers before I service the big swinging dicks. Can we order some drinks? Nope. OK, right. Let's get into this, mother. <clears throat> We're going to have the early bird menu, please. No, you're not. It's 8.03. OK, Mark, look. Working with Colin and Naz here, I think what we need is two executive teams. Uh-huh. OK, smart. Super smart. I'll do the consulting, the number crunching, the meta-analysis and the business plan while you cover the fucking off and getting us a nice cold picture of Bud, OK? See you around. So... <laughs> <laughs> I really do like the part where Johnson is like, I'll do the consulting and number crunching, meta-analysis and business plan, and he's holding up two fingers, and he's like, while you cover the fucking <laughs> off and getting us an ice cold picture of Bud. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, it's typical Mark when he gets himself into these situations that he can't get out of and they're a bit farcical and he ties himself, ties himself up in knots. It's, it's, it's classic Mark. Yeah. Um, I love when the, the tape, the guy at the table asks if he can order a drink and Mark just tells him no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next scene we have Jeremy and a... We have Jeremy and Elena, and they are at Elena and Gail's apartment. Jeremy is all excited because they're about to have sex, but... Yeah, I'm heading for Elena... a bed in, he says. Yeah, yeah, but Elena wants to do it on the floor. Yes, she thinks it would be hotter to do it on the floor, and also she doesn't want the sheets to smell of him. Yeah, and you can tell that, like, right here, Jeremy is starting to not feel really cool about this uh, relationship. Yeah, he's he's not into it, and understandably, if you are in a position where someone's making you have sex on the floor so the sheets don't smell of you, it's probably not ideal to continue in it. Nope, not in the slightest. It is not a good thing to do. Have you ever been in such um, a position? Or have you have you always been a decent, upstanding member of society? Uh, you mean, have I ever been in a position where I could potentially be caught by somebody's partner yeah or just generally yeah being caught doing something you shouldn't have been uh <laughs> no <laughs> i mean 
I've I, there's been some questionable times, but nothing you know to this extent. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I I try to be a, a decent person. Decent, upstanding American. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think that uh, for poor Jeremy, this might be the final straw for him. It takes a lot, doesn't it, to push Jeremy to the edge? But oh, I think yeah. this is the edge. This scene, or yeah, what follows. This scene definitely the edge because. Right as they're about to head for a bed, Gail comes home and Elena is like, shit, you need to get on, the, you need to go hide outside. And Jeremy's just like, but I've only got my pants or underwear for the American audience. I've only got my pants on and I do have my limits. I have self-respect. I might jump. And then Elena just is like, you're, we both know you're not going to jump. Yeah. And previous to this. Uh, Jeremy had asked her if if it came to the point that you had oh. to choose, would you who would you choose? And she's like, obviously I'd choose you. And then as soon as Gail comes back, obviously he, she's bundling him out onto the balcony. He's like, but you're choosing me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, excuse me for leaving that part out. That part's really really funny, and comes into play next episode. Yes, um, we then move to the flat uh above but it's above isn't it because mark we we, yeah. we mark and jeremy's flat is directly above and um mark conveniently, conveniently located and yeah. uh mark comes in to think about he's thinking about the first shift he's thinking you know it was all right got sacked by johnson from my dream job but on the plus side i learned how to professionally present a key lime pie and he suddenly becomes aware that something's thumping on the the wall of the or the window of the balcony yep. And obviously this is odd because they're many stories up and he can't work out what it is. But he looks out, thinks maybe he's being harassed by washing, looks out and then sees Jeremy stood on the balcony below, start bollock naked. I, I love this where he walks out on the, the balcony and he hears Jeremy and Jeremy's like, Mark, Mark. And Mark just thinks to himself, I bet he's naked. And then he leans over and um, Mark just looks at him and he goes, yep, of course. <laughs> um, Jeremy has has tied some tennis balls into some shirts to get his attention which is innovative and i wonder where he got the tennis balls from oh yeah i was just about to say very convenient that uh gail and elena just happen to have fucking tennis balls (laughs) on their porch um he says he's freezing can you throw me a rope and mark's like well i haven't got rope yep um and then jeremy's like what you don't own a rope and Mark just goes, oh, I don't have a boat or cattle or anything that ropes are used for. And then they have a very funny part here where um, Mark is like, well, what the hell would you do with the rope anyways? And Jeremy's like, climb up it. And Mark goes, climb up it using your strength. <laughs> and then Jeremy goes, well, you could just haul me up. And Mark just goes, sure. Haul you up using my muscles. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty unrealistic that either of uh, these things would happen. No, but it's really funny. This is a, this is one of the few bits in the this episode that I enjoy. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Um, just then, the as they're talking about the likelihood of him pulling him up, the doorbell rings and Mark has to go and get it. Yep, and he's, and then uh, Big Suze walks in and she says, "Oh God, I'm such an I'm in such a mess about Alan. I don't even know who I." I don't even know who I am anymore. And then Mark thinks to himself, I can give you a tip. Two words, mental posho. <laughs> and she asks if Jez is in and he says, sort of, but not really. 
Yeah, and she says, he's always been so sweet and understanding about my problems, and Mark thinks to himself, well, you might find that's changed a bit since he stopped wanting to have sex with you. <laughs> we then cut back to Elena and Gail's flat underneath, and Elena goes out to the balcony and says he can come in because uh, Gail's fallen asleep, but he needs to crawl. Yeah, I love this part. And uh, Jeremy just asks, crawl? And she goes, right. And he goes, okay, great. And then uh, Elena says, well, if she does wake up, I'll just say you're a pervert or a dope thief or a sex attacker. Something about the way she, with her accent as well, the way she says pervert, dope thief or sex attacker just really tickles me. Is that, is that She's really earnest about the way she says it, like she would definitely say that. It's very Big Sue's, like when Big Sue says that they could burn the, the uh, burglar with cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, similar. Um, so <laughs> Jeremy's doing this and thinking, this is good, this is great sexy romantic daring i'm like a modern day casanova raffles the gentleman perv and he tries to reach over for his clothes but elena like shushes him away from his clothes and he goes raffles doesn't deserve clothes I, this inspired me to look up raffles because i i understood that raffles was some sort of gentleman character but i didn't know completely who he was and uh, apparently it was a series of stories by someone called a uh, no sorry ew horning uh, from the early 20th century, it was a a series of stories that were like serialized in a magazine, um, and he was a cricketer and a gentleman thief. Raffles. <laughs> <laughs> what a uh, this is a good comparison for Jeremy. yeah, absolutely. This seems above his pay grade though. Yeah, if you know I, th I, mean. I don't think he's quite posh enough to be to be Raffles, but if it makes him feel better about conducting his affair, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is above Jeremy's pay grade. Yeah. But I digress. Um, we go back to Mark's flat, and uh, Mark is leading Big Sue's out onto the porch for some reason, and he says, oh, he was down there, but he's gone now. <laughs> yeah. And then the uh, doorbell rings again, and Mark just says, all right, Jez, I'm coming. But he opens the door, and there's Alan standing there waiting for him. Yeah, and Alan says, that was some dumb shit you pulled tonight. Um, but the good news is that I nailed the contract. Consultio is go. And Mark is genuinely happy for his friend. Um, but Johnson says, you know what? I need the manpower after all. I need capital. I need you. Are you still in? <laughs> yeah. And he says, of course he's still in. Um the crazy shit we've pulled over the years, JLB, Kettering, the market in sales, shitstorm, we're always here for each other, right, Alan? And then he sees Alan looking over his shoulder. Yep, and Suze walks around the corner and she's like, are you following me? <laughs> and Johnson realizes that Suze is there for Jeremy, which just validates this idea that Jeremy is, or that she is cheating on Johnson with Jeremy. Yep, uh, um, he says you got sick of the real world, did you? Want the soft play area? Yep, and then he accuses Mark. Why didn't you tell me, Mark? And Jeremy's, or uh, excuse me, Mark just says, "No, Alan, it's not, it's not that." And then Johnson, of course, is like, "Oh, so wingman, you are." Of course, because this is a comedy, Jeremy just happens to walk in at just the right time. Uh, Johnson turns around and just punches him square <laughs> in the stomach, and Jeremy just collapses like a sack of shit on the floor. Yeah, and Sue says, "No, Alan, no." He doesn't deserve that. And Mark says, well, he got it for the wrong reasons, but overall, probably fair dues. Yes, I love that. That's one of my favourite closing lines in this entire series. <laughs> Which is, is quite true. There's been so many times Jeremy's deserved a 
swift punch in the stomach. And this is yeah. this is for all of those times. All right. So as far as where this episode goes on your list, I'm just going to come straight out and say 54. Uh, so you're not far off. We are at number 48. Damn. So. Wow. Oh, no, sorry. 49. 49. Yeah, so okay. it's, there's still some below it, but it's pretty low. Wow. I can't believe there's episodes worse than this one. And the one. ones that are worse than this one are... Hold on, hold on. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm just saying they're just they're just similarly oh. dull, I would say, for the ones oh, okay. that are full below it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple things. Have you been following the Dobby Club March Madness character tournament? I haven't, no. Explain this to me because I didn't understand any of this. Okay, so first, are you are you familiar with the concept of March Madness? Mm. Like, is that something that you even know what that is? No. Oh, okay. So in America, in, in the month of March, that's when the college basketball season comes to an end. Oh, uh, okay. So they're in the month of March there is just a fucking shitload of basketball going on. Um, and it kind of culminates with the NCAA, which is the National Collegiate Athletes Association um, men's basketball tournament. It starts with 64 teams and they are divided into four brackets. And it's just like, it's, it's a huge thing in America. Like it's, I mean, it, it really, it, it's, March, they have determined, is one of the least productive months in America because of the all the college basketball stuff going on. Like, I'm being 100% serious. I've never heard uh, of this, so this is all news to me. Oh, yeah, it's it's huge. Uh, college basketball. Like, I am not a college basketball fan, but during March, I fucking watch as much of it as I can because it's just, it's so fun. And... This year, the NCAA tournament has been especially crazy with a lot of teams, a lot of lower-ranked teams beating much higher-ranked teams. So it has uh, it has been an entertaining tournament, to say the least. Okay. So How does this fit um, in with Peep Show, then? Explain. Oh, yes. Sorry, sorry. I went off on a <laughs> tangent there. I apologize. So the fine people over at Dobby Club decided to do their own Peep Show March Madness tournament. Right. And so they divided the male and female characters up into two brackets, and we are currently at the final four. Um, we currently have Big Sue's versus Valerie on one side, with Big Sue's winning somewhat handedly. And then on the other side of the bracket, we have April versus Elena. And then for the men's final four, we have Mark versus Jeff. And Mark is pretty much just shithousing Jeff at this point. And then on the other side of the bracket, we have what I think is a very interesting matchup with uh, Superhands versus Johnson. Mm, Superhands has got to win that, surely. Oh, yeah. There's been there's been some upsets, though, which uh, Elena, she beat Dobby, which I thought was strange. Mm. And then uh, Superhands beat Jeremy pretty fucking handedly. It was really surprising to me. Mm, I'll have to go and check this out because it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's been really fun. Like I have just been voting in all the polls, and the it, it's the traffic on Dobby Club since this has started has just been fucking insane. Oh, it's been amazing. I'll go and so, check that out later on. Big props to the people at Dobby Club. Yeah, well done, you guys. Yeah, and I think probably what everybody wants to hear me talk about is the episode of Alan Partridge that I watched. Yeah, so you just seem totally baffled by Alan Partridge. So 
to explain to anyone that didn't know, we were talking about Alan Partridge last week and I put it out. Um, I put a vote out for, for with my three favourite episodes of I'm Alan Partridge. There are 12 episodes in total. Which one should you watch? And the people spoke and they said that you should watch Basic Alan, which is episode three of the first series of I'm Alan Partridge. And yeah, I got the feeling that you were not impressed. Um, so I was taking notes as I was um, um, watching it and just it was... So what I had to end up doing at one point was that I just had to pause it and I had to read a synopsis of the first three episodes right? so that I could kind of figure out like how we got to the point where Alan was living in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. And so I found out that he was divorced and that he was living in the hotel as a result of the divorce and that he was working like a shitty night radio show, which explained why he was a radio DJ. And I also kind of had... Uh, discovered that he's just kind of a, a twat in general and that's why he was fucking with everybody because that was like the one thing I couldn't figure out was like why is this guy fucking with everybody yeah this so doesn't make any sense in the Alan universe what's happened is he was like a, a fairly successful talk show host on the BBC but he he accidentally killed someone in the final episode of his talk show so he's been reduced to living in the travel tavern and doing this night shift on Radio Norwich. And like you say, he's just a tool. He's just a tool to everyone. That is just his personality. Yeah. And so as he discovers, as this goes on, um, is that the hotel is currently under renovations and he's the only guest there. So it's just him and the staff. And I was really confused because he was being very like, uh, he's walking through the like the front foyer, like singing. And then Susan, who's one of the hotel staff, she comes out and starts singing with him, but she can't sing for shit. And then he, every time she starts to sing, he just kind of tells her to shut up. And then she kind of hints that she wants to go out back and fuck him. And yeah, she doesn't mean it. She's fucking with him now. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and Alan seems like very confused, but then two other employees mentioned that, they're going to go out back and fuck. And they say that there's cones and a mattress there. And so then Alan starts to think like, huh, maybe I could go bone her. And then he goes up to his hotel room and he's listening to, I don't know, like, oh, uh, and before he goes up to his hotel room, the two, um, the two employees that are, that are down in the foyer, they're kind of talking about, um, how they're going to go out and back and, and hook up. And Alan being the dick he is tells Michael that he wants a sandwich and he wants it now. It's, it's and Ben. It's Ben. He tells that he wants a sandwich. Oh, he says he wants, he wants, he wants a sandwich, a hot egg and a present of crisps. So that he wants it anytime in the next 15 minutes, which has been their window of boning time. Yeah. So then he goes up to his room and he's listening to like a relaxation tape and, he can't relax because he's got to like, he's got like OCD and he's got to straighten his shoes and then make sure all the drawers are closed. And he just can't like focus on anything. Um, he goes and he looks out the window and he sees the two hotel staff members walking out of bushes, like giggling. And they look up and see him kind of staring at them kind of weird. And they get all kind of like, and go running inside. Um, at this point, he calls his son, Fernando, and starts talking to his son, who I have kind of understood to be that they're estranged. And he talks about yeah. all the places. Did you get the Fernando joke? Do you have Do you have ABBA over there? Do we have what? ABBA. Oh, 
I mean, ABBA was a thing over here, but I don't know what con- the context of the Fernando joke. There was a song called Fernando, but you wouldn't call your child Fernando, would you? But there was a song called Fernando, and that's clearly why they've named their child Fernando. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we keep... Uh, and then he starts talking to his son about all the places that he banged his ex-wife, and he just seems bored. Um he then decides that he's going to go to a gas station and he's walking to this gas station singing Goldfinger. Um, one of the things that was super jarring to me was the fact that there was a laugh track because I haven't watched a show with a laugh track in years. Yeah, so when I when you said that to me, I was it got me thinking about it and I was like, oh yeah, that is a bit jarring. There's a laugh track. Why is there a laugh track? And apparently some of it was filmed in front of a studio audience. So some of it is, but some of it obviously wasn't because like he's walking down the side of a road, like a busy dual carriageway um and also you you make reference to how old it seems now and and again i watched this when it first aired so i've been watching this consistently for 20 years and i've not even thought about how old it now looks but now watching it again i'm like yeah this is really dated the laughter track and everything in it makes it seem really dated well i mean this episode came out in i think 1997 is what i saw yeah yeah, it was 1997, so yeah. it's 21 years old, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I can totally, I mean, it, to me, it seems like probably at the time it was really good, but, yeah, just now, it just is, it's, like, it's weird. Like, you see people smoking indoors, and that just is, like, so fucking strange to me to see. Yeah, I mean, the whole premise of this episode is that he's he got nothing to do, he's got nothing going on in his life. He's living in a travel tavern and he's just trying to find things to do. So he tries to get Fernando to go for a drink with him and he's, he won't because he's in bed with a woman. He goes to the garage, like you say, he goes to a gas station and he tries to get the guy on the till to go for a drink with him, which is tragic. Yeah. And then he ends up um, he going buys, to he buys, buy... He buys 12 <laughs> bottles of windshield wiper fluid. <laughs> yeah, but the bag just that he's... to do. Yeah, but the bag that he's carrying with him doesn't look like it's big enough to have 12 bottles of no that's true actually that is an inconsistency that i hadn't noticed yeah. um he ends up summoning his his pa lynn the long-suffering lynn to come and talk to him in the car um and he, start, he starts talking to her about inertia seat belts and asks her i felt so bad for lynn so i'm assuming that lynn is like a long-running character in this show right so poor poor lynn has been with him well, we know from his autobiography, um, I Partridge, we need to talk about Alan, that Lynn has been with him since the early 1970s, so since the beginning of his career. Poor Lynn is so long-suffering. He only pays her, at this point, £9,500 a year and probably isn't paying her much more now. And we know from the Alan, Alan Partridge film and Cizadar, which have been in the last few years, that she's still with him. So poor Lynn has been in Alan's life for like 40 years now. Yeah, I the some of the things that were also really jarring to me was he's driving in a car at some point and he's got this like headset on. Talking. Yes, like a hands-free thing that yeah. he's talking to Lin on. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- at first I thought that he was just making like a tape recording of himself, but then I realized that he was actually talking on a cell phone, and so he's got this hands-free. <laughs> it's got a cable that's running to it. There's no Bluetooth. The microphone is a fucking boom mic, so I mean it looks like. Uh, <laughs> like a uh what i used to record the podcast on and it just it's so funny and then he starts talking to lynn about inertia seatbelts, and he says that he would love to feel an airbag go off in his face <laughs> which was i which was a joke that i actually thought was pretty funny 
and then he he tells her that he needs cooling and to uh fan wave him and she starts waving this fan at him and he turns around and she just bashes him in the face with this fan and he's like what the fuck are you doing lady yeah poor lynn is just she's he's she's meant to be his like personal assistant for his media career but he treats her as basically an all-round dog's body yeah um they get back to the hotel and the entire hotel staff is like super pumped to see uh they get back to the hotel and the whole the whole hotel staff is super pumped to see lynn but they just don't give a fuck about alan (laughs) they invite her to play gin rummy and she goes yeah okay um and he's he goes okay i'm gonna go to his room and as he goes up to his room the entire staff starts to mock him and um yeah they do it they do some really accurate impressions of him um i love when he comes running back at them and he like is flinging his bag over his head (laughs) like it's a mace (laughs) yeah um and then um (laughs) then he goes back up to his room and lim follows him and uh she she um she offers him a, a mint and says would you like a mint and then goes to have one herself and he's like i don't think you should have one then after what's just happened and, she, and yeah. um i love how she just spits it out <laughs> yeah because she's been conditioned over 20 years to put up with this bullshit yeah. and um and he says that he's calmed down now but he's gonna play a the recording from his dictaphone from a few minutes before which yes. is him saying that he's gonna sack lynn for being unloyal disloyal and for taking part in fun that uh, to Disclude the exclusion of her excludes employer. my employer, yeah, yes. which is something that uh, we say a lot in our house. My husband's often telling me that he's going to sack me for being disloyal. Um, <laughs> which is to, <laughs> this has become part of the, our consciousness. Um, but he says that to go back down because I'm going to now do something. I've got something up my sleeve that's going to be pretty fun for for the hotel staff. Yep, and then uh, he we don't see what's happening, but we see. I believe it's uh, uh, Susan. Yes, it is Susan, the, yeah. the blonde lady, yeah. Yeah, she goes to walk behind the counter, and Alan just, like, jumps up, and he just scares the fuck out of her. And he's dressed, he's supposed to be dressed as, like, a zombie, but he's he's got Chris stuck to his face. He's got, like, a shower curtain over his shoulders. Um, he's got, like, tungsten tit nails, like, taped to his fingers. He just looks, like, totally ridiculous. The whole staff is just, like, asking him questions about his outfit and just mocking him and... It ends with him saying, like, Frankenstein is the name of the creator, not the monster, which is just sort of this, like, intelligent person's fuck you. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a sort of pedantic character trait of Alan's that he thinks he's so much cleverer than everyone else. Um, so we then later see him talking to Michael the Geordie, uh, who's the, who works at the hotel, he's the bar, barman at this point, talking about Dude, how everything is... His accent was so fucking thick. <laughs> it's, it's, oh my god! I can god. see how that would be indecipherable if you weren't British. Um, you need the subtitles on for for, for Michael, I think. Um, Dude, I was like, <laughs> holy shit! Um, and he said, and Alan says it's depressing. Like everything's depressing. Have you ever thought suicide might be the answer? Um, <laughs> and Michael says, yeah, I have. And he's like, when? And he's like, oh, sometimes when I've seen you moping around looking all sad. And Alan's like, no, no, no I meant you. And Michael yeah. says, no, it's the coward's way out. It's the coward's way out, man. Yeah. And then they engage in this conversation where Michael just pretty much explains how he had a pet capation monkey that was in a tent with him and it ate his entire, like, <laughs> carton of cigarettes. So he threw it in the ocean and 
they start getting in this very like detailed conversation about how Michael killed this monkey. Because the running joke is that Michael used to be in the army, so Alan's always looking for Michael's military stories to like, oh. bit, like man him up, and like he likes listening to um, Michael's stories about when he was in the army because it makes ah, him feel manly. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Michael's like, "Well, no, it didn't drown. It hit a rock as I it hit a rock and then helicoptered into the ocean." And then <laughs> they talk about I don't know, like animal testing, and um, then they start talking about how. Um, monkeys keep stealing parts of cars from the drive-through zoos so that the monkeys can all build a car and then go on drive on the roadway. And then Alan just says, "Hey, we should just go steal a cone." And <laughs> yeah, we Alan's... should be crazy. Go and steal a traffic cone or something. Yeah, but Alan gets says that they will get Lynn to drive us, and then we get a flash to like the very next scene, and they are pulled over on the side of the road. Alan is standing inside the car. Lynn looks horrified. Michael is, like, nowhere to be seen. Um, the cops are talking to him, and uh, Alan is, you know, talking about how, oh, I felt sick, and I, we decided to pull over so I could puke in one of the cones, and I didn't want to puke on the street because a car might skid on it. Um, he says Michael cops... ran away because he's got post-traumatic stress disorder from when he was in the army. Yeah. Um, Alan does the typical thing where he says, like, hey, I'm not stealing a cone, and the police are saying, hey, we aren't saying that you are stealing a cone. <laughs> and then they get in this long, involved conversation about how it may look like he's stealing a cone, but he's not actually stealing a cone, etc., etc. He gives them a fake name of Bill Carr. Lynn, this whole time, just looks absolutely mortified. Um, the address that he gives him, I... I'm imagining that 10 Kings Road is like Parliament or something like that. No, it's not. I, I've seen you said, is this address I should know? No, I think it's just the fact that it's so clearly not, it's so clearly a fake address is that what's oh. the funny about it here. Um, yeah. And then Lynn, the policeman says, what are you going to do now? And he says, oh, I'm probably just going to go home and go to bed to keep out of trouble. And the policeman's like, I think that's a good idea. Yep. Um, they walk back, Alan walks back into the hotel, and I thought this scene was so fucking out of nowhere, <laughs> where he, like, has these hallucinations of him as an exotic dancer, and he's wearing this, like, cardigan sweater that has the <laughs> nipples cut out, and then yeah. all of a sudden, he's got, like, cones, and he's wearing these, like, he's wearing these, like, gigantic shoes, and... Stripper shoes stripper shoes and underwear and a cardigan with the nipples cut out and then like two cones over there and he's yeah it's, it's just so weird um lynn has to go somewhere i didn't catch where and he offers to give lynn a ride but then he's like oh it's it's only a 15 minute walk you can walk it but there's no light so be careful yeah um and uh we see then alan has harsh words for michael as you would have yeah. as he ran off um yeah he tells he tells michael that he wants two eggs over easy for breakfast and he wants the eggs he wants michael to lay the eggs because he's such a chicken <laughs> yeah um and then uh they he gets in the lift with susan and she says are you getting out here or are you going all the way with me and he gets out because of course he's never gonna go all the way with anyone because he's pathetic um yeah. And then it ends with him being in his studio and his co-worker, whose name I totally forgot to write down, Dave starts yeah, starts making a bunch of cone puns and they start making all these cone puns 
and then Alan just pretty much tells him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I um, I always said I thought Alan Partridge was maybe a step too English for you. I'd be very interested if you watch more of it. I'd be very interested if you watch the film because the film is uh, in completely going against the genre of comedies made into films. The film is excellent um, and a very worthy part of the Alan Partridge canon. Um, but I'm not sure it's for you <laughs> put you through this experiment of Alan Partridge. I mean, it's look, I could uh, watching this one episode. I could totally get why people like this show. I mean, I don't think it was a, I don't think it's a bad show. It just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I do think, so. I, th I do think it's maybe, it is maybe a bit too British, but we'll see. We'll see if as uh, time goes on, if you ever see the film, what you think of that? Because the film did all right in America. Americans liked it, so it must have some sort of broader appeal. Well, you know what the funny thing is, is while while I was trying to figure out what the fuck was going on in this episode, um, I was doing some research on Alan Partridge, and yeah, you are right. The film actually did get some traction over here, and there were all these articles that were like, hey, you guys should go see this movie, and here's a primer on what's going on before you see this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you might like it. It's, it's really funny. I, I mean, obviously, I enjoyed it. I'm an Alan Partridge fan, but even, like, my best friend isn't really, and she liked it. She went and saw it at the cinema without knowing the whole backstory, so. Yeah. Well, um, I want to go ahead and wrap this episode up. I do just want to give a special thanks once again to all of our Patreon followers. Thank you, all two of you, for your uh, donations. It is super helpful to us. So yes, thank, thank you. you once again. Um, I also want to give a shout out to two people who made my, I don't remember, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, really, really fun. Uh, that was Claire and Margie. Um, they were being really active with us on Twitter that night. We did like a little, or we did like a little Photoshop with them. It was very fucking funny. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was Tuesday because it was while I was still crying about mum and I was like sniveling and, and Twittering at the same time. So yeah, it was really funny. Yeah. Also, um, this country was really good. Um, highly recommend watching uh, anybody to go watch it. it yeah, very, so very a funny. great turn from the vicar this week, who was also very active on Twitter with us. Um, it was just such a great performance, and um, we were saying about how good he was, and he was very gracious in getting all the praise. So, yeah, maybe we can talk a bit more next week about the uh, what will hopefully be another great episode coming out tomorrow. Yeah, I'm excited. So, yeah. Um, anyways, we will be back next. Uh, oh, sorry. We will try to be back next week. Um, I'm, I've am i got a vacation, a little family thing that I'm doing next week, so I may not be able to record. If we do record, it'll be on Monday, and it'll be at, like, midnight your time. So if you're down, then I'm down. If not, we can figure something else okay, out. Okay, cool. It's, um, it's Easter. I'm off, so I'm sure we'll figure something out. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, We've so, got two weeks of school, so, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a workaround. Oh, well, yeah, we'll probably figure something out then. Yeah, yeah. So if we have an episode out uh, in two weeks, great. If not, sorry. So, <laughs> have a nice Easter. <laughs> yeah. We will be back sometime soon with one of my favorite episodes, The Party. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. And I was really disappointed this week because I thought that this episode we were doing today was The Party. And I was like, oh, shit, I've got to get through this crappy episode first. So it'll be great <laughs> to talk about that. Yeah. Yep. Well, you've got to eat the 
savory toast before you get to the <laughs> exactly sweet yeah toast. yeah yeah <laughs> or whatever so anyways this is the l dude brothers signing off and, <laughs> and <laughs> goodbye bye i am in loco parentis i am the last remaining contestant on the apprentice i am the home trained dentist ay 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 